Philippians chapter 4, true happiness is possible by embracing contentment. As we looked last week about the test of necessity and the test of plenty, um, sometimes some of us get anxious about different tests. There's certainly been exams in my life that I've been anxious about and uh, big, you know, big days. I remember uh, before I got ordained into the ministry, I was supposed to you know, uh, sit down at this table of other pastors, some who'd been in the ministry for, you know, decades, uh, for the majority of their life, it seemed, and here I was coming out of uh, college and trying to study, uh, you know, what I believed about all these doctrinal truths, and I, I remember having, a, a, you know, a lot of anxiety about, man, I, I just want to get this done, you know, I think I've studied as much as I can, I've, I've written my doctrinal statement, and uh, we, we, sometimes we want to just get it behind us friend of mine in high school, uh, there was only, we were in a small Christian school, so for Spanish 2 class, there were only three of us, okay, so three, three boys, uh, Eric Champion, Brandon Mercer, and, and me, and uh, Brandon would, every test, every Spanish 2 test that we would come in the classroom, he would look at Mrs. Smith, who, you know, was our Spanish teacher, and say, Mrs., he'd say, Mrs. Smith, just give me a C, I don't even have to take the test. If you'll just give me a C, I'll be happy. How about that? And she said, no, Brandon, you know I can't do that. You got to take the test. I'm like, okay. He just wanted to get it done. And so maybe as we talked about last week, the test of necessity and the test of plenty, you may think, Pastor, all right, let's just get it behind me. I want to get this over with and uh, go ahead and learn contentment fast and move on with life. But as one commentator stated, and you'll see the, the phrase up on the screen there, but uh, it says, contentment isn't learned in a single crisis. It's learned through exposure to times of need and times of plenty. So in essence, there's not just one test, okay? Fine, you know, I, I passed the test of necessity, and okay, good, I passed the test of plenty, and we're going to move on. It is an ongoing evaluation, so in that sense, we are to be lifelong learners, that we will continue to learn through this test. And Paul had a good platform for that, because certainly as we uh, will even see more, even from last week, of all that Paul has faced, in, in kind of modern terms, we could call him, he is a good contentment coach. I mean, he's been through a lot of stuff. So when he tells us, listen, I have learned the secret, ooh, let me lean in because Paul has a platform here where he's been through a lot of things and he has faced the test of necessity and the test of plenty. So what is he going to share in this secret that he's learned? Now, most of us, when we hear kind of that, that phrase and that idea of, of a secret to something, we kind of lean in a little closer and we're like, what is it? So I want to ask you, I want your involvement. If you could read an article this afternoon, not a book because some of us would be like, no, book's too long. So if you could read an article this afternoon and discover the secret to something in your life, what would you like that article to be about? The secret to or the secret for fill in the phrase. What would it be? You can be honest. Maybe don't say secret to a happy marriage, okay? <laughs> maybe not say that here. I mean, it, share that with me and we want to help you, honestly. But maybe, maybe not, you know, nudge or say. Um, but what else? The secret to always being organized. Boy, that'd be nice. We could read an article and boom, it just happens. Sean, what's your test on tomorrow? International financial management. 
So maybe Sean would be interested in an article of the secret to acing the test to the secret to financial management. Who knows? What else? What would you, your article be about? Raisa? Okay, the secret to getting older and being happy. All right? Great. What else? There'd be a lot of articles that I could, I could think of. What's another article you'd like to read? I, listen, I know that you would like to know some secrets, so just be honest. Audrey? The secret to liking commitment. Good. All right, Josh? The secret to cooking. That is a good one. Yeah, that is a good one. We were, just yesterday afternoon, we were talking about a, a recipe for uh, mac and cheese that some of us will be, be able to share this afternoon. But I asked Jessica, I said, well, you know, how did you make it? She says, well, I, I actually don't remember exactly how I made it last time. I'm like, oh my goodness. <laughs> she says, you know, I just put a little bit of this, a little bit of that, because we didn't have everything in the pantry. I could never cook like that. I can't cook anyway, much less just dabbing a little bit in this. Marco. The secret to getting along with my children. And your children might say the secret to getting along with my parents. <laughs> you know, who knows? All right, David. The secret to not procrastinating. So you and Audrey need to read the same article about commitment, procrastinating. <laughs> That's good. There's so many things. And we've seen, you know, throughout even your life and my life, certainly um, just scores of articles. The secret to a happy marriage. The secret to a beautiful garden. The secret to, and fill in the blank. And Paul tells us that he has learned the secret. So let's, let's look at that. In Philippians chapter 4, we see that contentment can only be embraced through the power of Christ. Contentment can only be embraced through the power of Christ. And that is the secret. Philippians 4, 12 says, I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound in any, in every circumstance. And here, here he says it, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need, and then he tells us the secret. This is not the context that we often hear this verse quoted. This is not the context when we see, you know, the, the athlete stand up and says, yes, I can do all things through Christ. I'm going to run this marathon, and after that, I'm going to go, you know, bike 25 miles. And he says, so the learning the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need, this is it. I can do all things through him. Some versions say specifically through Christ, which that obviously is the context. I can do all things through him, through Christ, who strengthens me. Now, it's interesting that in some versions, the NIV, in, in, for example, includes, it says it this way, I can do all this through him, through Christ, who strengthens me. And that's the idea. As Paul goes through, I face the test of necessity. I face the test of plenty. I know what it is to be brought low. I know what it is to be elevated. I know I've been in all of these circumstances, and I can do all of this, what he's just talked about in the, in the past few verses. I can do all of these things, all of this, through Christ. And it can only be embraced. Contentment can only be embraced through Christ. Now, what are the blessings of finding and maintaining contentment in Christ? What are some of the blessings that we find in finding and maintaining contentment in Christ? Well, the secret of contentment is not found in your situation, but it's found in your Savior. Okay, so the secret of contentment is not found in your situation, it is found in your Savior. And you may think, amen, but often in reality, we convince ourselves, if I only had this, if I just had 
a bigger car or a nicer car or if I just had a better house or if I just had a more understanding husband or if I just had, you know, a, a, a more beautiful wife or if I just had, you know, children that, that just would get along and, and you fill in the blank and oftentimes we think practically in that way. If I just had, then I could be content. The fact is that the secret of contentment is not found in that situation or any other situation. It's only found in your Savior. John 15, verses 4 through 5, way before Paul accepted Christ as his Savior, the road to Damascus and Christ did a miraculous work, Christ himself used the analogy of, of the vine and a branch and begins to give us some secrets of how can we, in fact, find contentment in him. Notice in John 15, verses 4 and 5. Abide in me. Stay in me, stay rooted, stay connected to me, abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches, whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. And then notice this, for apart from me, you can do nothing. Now I want, I want you to say that phrase with me, just that last part, for apart from me, you can do nothing. Here we go. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, I want you to make it a little more personal. We're going to say, for apart from you, I can do nothing. Okay, that's a little more difficult to say. Here we go. For apart from you, I can do nothing. Because we have to find our contentment as we abide in Jesus Christ. Philippians 4.13 then is not intended to just be this declaration of, oh yeah, I can do anything that I desire, anything that I put my mind to, I'm gonna declare it and God will do it. No, that's not it. That's not the context. The context is whatever God is, his will is for my life. Wherever he takes me in the test of necessity, wherever he elevates me in the test of plenty, in all of those areas, then yes, I can do all of these things in fulfillment of God's will and his power through me. That's the idea of Philippians 4, 13. So as we think about the blessings of finding and maintaining contentment in Christ, number one, you will be freed from an enslaved life. You will be freed from an enslaved life. John 10, 10, the first part of that verse says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. None of us enjoy having things taken from us. None of us enjoy, you know, working hard and buying something and then having that stolen from us or receiving a gift and appreciating that gift and then having that gift taken away. None of us enjoy that. Our, our culture, unfortunately, is beginning to be more and more plagued with even organized thievery. I read an article in The Week magazine how uh, there are just millions and millions of dollars of products stole, uh, stolen throughout uh, uh, you know, each, you know, each year in the United States of America. And it's not just individuals that go in and steal for their own use. There are huge organized gangs that send people in to just empty the shelves of health products and all these things. And then many times they're resold to you and me through Amazon and other online uh, things like that. We don't, we don't enjoy that. Now, if we knew we were buying stolen goods, I don't think we would do that, hopefully. But we don't enjoy having things stolen from us. And CVS and Walmart and Target, they don't either. 
But all of this goes back to Satan. That is who he is. That is exactly what he does in John chapter 10 and verse 10 where it says, the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. You know, and although few would readily admit it, there's people all around us that are living in an enslaved life. As they search for contentment in something or someone else, they are enslaving themselves more and more and more. Just in the last couple of weeks, a 38-year-old man seemingly got angered by his, his neighbors. He was shooting a rifle. His neighbors said, listen, can you, you know, can you stop shooting your rifle? We have a baby sleep, sleeping. He goes over to the home and kills five of the 10 in the house. Like that. Enslaved to his own anger. Cash App founder Bob Lee was murdered in what appears to be a dispute as uh, apparently he was doing drugs with, uh, let's see if I can find the guy's name. Nope, the murder suspect, uh, sister and, and this uh, Cash App founder were doing drugs together. The, the sister's uh, brother got upset and in a dispute apparently ended up killing Bob Lee. Jamie Komorowski now finds herself in Charleston County Jail in South Carolina without bail, facing potentially 75 years in prison as she was driving drunk 40 miles over the, the speed limit and hit a couple, ran into the back of their golf cart, killed the bride. She, they were recently newlyweds. She died and injured him, and now 75 years potentially in prison. She's living an enslaved life. She didn't wake up that morning planning to do that. You know, and apart from the weekly stories that we see in the headlines, whether it's Fox News or CNN or wherever you, you look for news, apart from those weekly stories, there's people all around us, and we too are often uh, drawn into, boy, if I could just do this, or I think this will bring me contentment, or this activity, or these relationships, or this group, if I could become accepted, and many of those, as Jesus says in John 8, 44, they're from the father of lies because the thief just wants to kill, steal, and destroy. So as we find our contentment and maintain it in Jesus Christ, you and I will be freed from an enslaved life. Contentment won't come by way of a paycheck. It won't be by a favorite leisure activity. Uh, it won't come through the screen of social media, you know, video games, of pornography, or, or anything else. It's only going to come through Jesus Christ. And you can be sure that Satan, as 1 Peter 5, 8 says, that he will continue to prowl around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. So as we find and maintain our contentment in Jesus Christ, we will, we will, free, we will be freed from an enslaved life. And then secondly, the second part of John chapter 10 and verse 10 you will be freed to enjoy an abundant life. You'll be freed from an enslaved life, but then you'll, you'll be freed to enjoy an abundant life. John 10, 10, again, says the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came, Jesus says, that they may have life and have it abundantly. Amen? Praise God for that. 
Praise God for Shauna being able to stand behind this pulpit this morning. And, and praise the Lord, Shauna, for your courage to do that. But she was able to share that through Christ's work in her life, even when she didn't recognize it many years ago, God has orchestrated all the details and brought her to be able to stand up here this morning and say, to God's glory, this is what he's done. In the midst of great adversity, in the midst of many difficult circumstances, God has done this and is giving me an abundant life. And every one of you knows Christ as your Savior could give praise to God for how he's giving you an abundant life. Well, I don't have a lot of money. Oh, an abundant life comes in so many different forms. It's not just money. In fact, sometimes remembering the test of plenty can be one of the most difficult tests. As we look to God, he will free us to enjoy an abundant life. The secret to this abundant life will remain undiscovered by most. That's why Paul says, I've learned the secret. Meaning, this is not going to be, the the majority of people are not going to enjoy commitment and embrace commitment. It's going to be undiscovered by most. Jesus himself said in Matthew chapter 7, uh, verses 13 and 14, enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. So if we we dial back all the way to kind of the issue of salvation in the two kingdoms, the kingdom of Satan, the kingdom of Jesus Christ, if we look all the way back to that decision, where will we first of all find our contentment as human beings? We were created for God's glory, but because of the fall of man, because of our continued tendency to sin, we're separated from God. Our sin breaks the communion with Jesus Christ. He came, lived a perfect life, died on the cross, was buried, rose again, offers the gift of salvation so then we can be restored once again to our Heavenly Father and enjoy an abundant life with Christ. But we still have that, that controversy there. Okay, but boy, the kingdom of Satan seems so interesting. It seems like there's so much pleasure. It seems like it's so much easier. Look at the majorities, a majority of people. They're not going to the narrow gate. They're not taking the hard way. So this path to contentment, whether it, first of all, it starts in salvation, and then as it continues to spiritual growth, it will be undiscovered by most. Secondly, we see the secret to this abundant life is customized for you. The secret to this abundant life is customized for you. You know, in general, we appreciate, as humans, we, we appreciate customized things. Many of you know Clay Huey. He, he does custom blinds. And I've worked with him on a couple of occasions where we've installed custom-made blinds for Discount Tire or other places where they are, they're made to fit that exact spot. When we were in India and Audrey and Christina were there, just seemed like last minute, the national pastor said, uh, Christina and Audrey, we're going to have some kurtas made for you. And so um, let's, let's run down to this lady and she's going to take your measurements. And then uh, by, by tomorrow, she should have these custom-made kurtas uh, for the two of you. And, and she did. And they fit perfectly. Custom-made. And we enjoy those things. We enjoy uh, custom orders even. I had a lunch appointment and finally was able to try a Semper Fi in Woodstock. And very simple place, but good food. 
and they had a bunch of different hamburgers, but I didn't like the combination of any of the hamburgers. I kind of wanted to pick and choose, and so I asked the waitress, I said, well, can I get like this blackened burger, but then add like mushrooms and grilled onions? She said, yeah, sure, you order it however you want. I'm like, here we go. And I ordered the hamburger to order of exactly what I wanted, and it was phenomenal. The Bible tells us that our life, our path to contentment will be customized for you and for me. No two paths are going to look exactly alike. We see this in Hebrews. Before we go through kind of Hebrews chapter 11, which sometimes we call the hall of faith, think with me and look with me. You'll see it on the screen. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1 says this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, and we're going to see some of those witnesses as we go through Hebrews 11 just quickly, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before who? Us. My race is going to be different than your race. All throughout the Old Testament, we see, in New Testament as well, we see different paths. So think with me as we look at Hebrews 11. We're not going to read verses necessarily, but I'm going to pick some of the guys, some of the, the individuals that the Lord talks about. Abel showed faith and contentment through the sacrifice that he offered to God. Noah showed faith and contentment as he built an ark in obedience to God's call on his life. So let me ask you this. How many worked on an ark yesterday in your backyard? You, you've worked on it for 20 years now, and you just did a little bit more yesterday. You were building an ark. Anybody? Dylan raises his hand. I'd love to see it. Well, I've been to the ark encounter. Ashley just went last, last week, so she could tell us a few things about a reconstructed ark. We're not building arks, but Noah did. That was part of the path to contentment of his neighbors making fun of him, saying, what are you doing? What is this that you're building? You're a weirdo. Build, I mean, come on. That was a path to contentment. This is what God's told me to do. I want to follow his path for me. Abraham's path to contentment meant that he had to leave the land he was familiar with and begin a journey to somewhere that he didn't know because God told him, that's where I'm going to give you the promised land. If it had been me, I think I would have been tempted to say, okay, God, can we, can we negotiate? God, you are all powerful. And it seems like it would make more sense if you would just make this land where I'm already living the promised land. You can change anything you want, but you, if you just make this land the promised land, then I wouldn't have to move. I've already got some connections. I think there may be more long-term benefits if I just stay here because I know more people. Probably be my tendency. But God's path was, no, you need to leave. You need to go where I tell you to go, and I'm going to show you. You don't know yet, but I'm going to show you where I want you to go. Abraham's path meant really a lot of steps of faith. faith. Moses' path to learning contentment. Called to lead out the nation of Israel. Called to lead maybe upwards to two million people through the wilderness, and at some points getting so angry at him that they say, We need to find another leader. We want to go back to Egypt, and in fact, maybe we should just stone Moses. Woo! Thank, thank you, Lord, for this path. This is exciting. Hebrews 11 33 through 35 begins to carry us even through other people that aren't mentioned by name, but 
talks about, it says, conquered kingdoms, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, probably a reference to Daniel, quenched the power of fire, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight, received back their dead. So as we kind of read those, there's like, yeah, I'm good. God, if you could just give me that path, I'm fine with conquering kingdoms, stopping the mouths of lions, seeing people come back to dead. Hallelujah. The tests of plenty. But then, just in the very next verse, Hebrews eleven thirty five, we see the test of necessity, and it talks about people who were tortured, suffered from mocking and flogging, and even chains and imprisonment, were stoned, sawn in two, killed with a sword, destitute, afflicted, and even mistreated. The test of necessity. But all of this comes before Hebrews 12, 1, which we read, and says, run the race that's set before us. And each of us is different. So it will be customized for you, and that is God's perfect path. He can use even the, 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 the disappointments, even the difficulties to help us to grow closer to him. We see the contentment is always attainable in Christ. If every path is different, if Paul's path is different, then we can see that it is always attainable. Joseph of the Old Testament, the second to last of the sons of Jacob, sometimes called Israel. Benjamin was after him, but his path to contentment was very different than John the Baptist's path to contentment, whose path was very different than the disciple John's path to contentment. Peter's path to contentment took an alternate course than Paul's path did. David Wu's path to contentment is going to be different than Dylan's path to contentment. Barb's, uh, Barb Garvin's path is going to be different than Barbara Floresta's path to contentment. But yet we see the common denominator in all of these things that Christ is the one who charts the path. Christ is the one who says, I am with you. And you can do all of this, you can do all of these things through me because I'm the one that strengthens you. I'm the one that will be with you and will guide you as you go along this path. Contentment, not only will it be attainable in Christ, but it will also be adaptable for Christ. It'll make you adaptable for Christ. Notice 2 Corinthians 6, verses 4 and 5. Paul says, but as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way by great endurance, in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger. Just in those two verses alone, he's already covered a lot of change. I enjoy sleeping. I don't want sleepless nights. I enjoy eating. I'm not too excited about facing hunger. But yet as he learned contentment and learned that even in, in every one of those circumstances, contentment was attainable and would make him adaptable. Also in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 25, it says, Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, (coughs) danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers. In toil, 
and hardship through many a sleepless night and hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. But yet, he talks to the Philippians from prison and he says, listen, listen Philippians, listen brothers and sisters in Christ, I've learned the secret that even through all of that, I've learned the secret to be content. It's because through his power, through the power of Jesus Christ, I can do these things. He will strengthen me. When I was probably in, I don't know, fifth or sixth grade, I had the opportunity sometimes to tag along with my parents as they would lead youth trips to different mission uh, fields. And there was a mission trip that had been planned to go to a remote area of Canada and help at a camp um, until it was made public that there was not going to be electricity for the majority of the trip. And some of the teenage girls who had signed up to go, when they heard there's not going to be any electricity, that means there's not going to be any hair dryers or curlers or straighteners. And so one by one, several of the teenage girls began to back out. Oh, no, no, can't go. I, 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 can't, I can't do that. How can I go a week without blow drying my hair? How can I go a week without using a straightener? And unfortunately, in the end, the trip was canceled. It was sad. Because some of them had not learned, listen, even without electricity, even without a hair dryer, and even, or blow dryer, and even without the, the straightener and the curler, I could be content. You and I may think, men and women alike, we may think, well, Okay, Lord, you want me to do this? I can, but there needs to be a Starbucks around the corner, Walmart within, a Walmart within five miles, Cabela's or Bass Pro, maybe 10, okay? I can stretch a little bit, 10 miles, God. And oh, by the way, I need these people to be fairly close, whether it's your close friends that you don't wanna leave or family members that you have to be by. Oftentimes, when God calls us to do things, we have, we have these these. These ideas that like, I can God and I'll be content if you'll do this, 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 and that. But Paul says, I've learned the secret. I can be adaptable. God can take us in many different areas and God can even change many things in our life. But Lord, I've learned the secret because I can do all this. I can do all these things through Christ who strengthens me. From a kid all the way up to now and as an adult, God's given me many, many opportunities to visit mission fields and be with other missionaries and national pastors. And I've, I've been in, in some areas where there is plenty. You know, all mission fields are not third world countries. So there's some areas of the world that are mission fields for sure. They need the gospel of Jesus Christ. But there's much wealth and there's many fun and, and luxurious things to see. And in those contexts, I've seen national pastors and missionaries be very content but I've also seen missionaries and national pastors be content in some of the more, more difficult areas of the world to live. A national pastor that we stayed with in India, two, two rooms, and we stayed in one room, uh, the, the two girls and myself and the missionary that we went to see and his daughter, all five of us, were in the same room. We obviously slept fully clothed because there's mixed groups there, and there were only, there's only a sheet of plastic that separated our room, the guest bedroom, from the couple's room, and the boys slept in the room with them. And then we kind of walked across the courtyard to go to this little, you know, outhouse thing, and, 
it wasn't until the end of the week that one of my girls says, Dad, yeah, there is a way to close that. You know, there's this, like this nail and you can like tie this. The whole week, you know, I didn't know there was a way to close that door. And I've kept, you know, wondering like, is anybody going to see me in here? It's difficult. But yet the couple, they were, they were content and they were very gracious. And no, they're not perfect. Yes, I'm sure they faced difficulties, but they received us with great love and, and they showed contentment. The same is true in Mexico, Canada, St. Vincent, India, Albania, Kosovo, Senegal, Argentina, Puerto Rico, an Indian reservation in Arizona. All of these places, I was at God, by God's grace, I was able to meet people who, in a test of necessity or a test of plenty, were very content. Friday afternoon, we had the opportunity to visit and be with my nephew who graduated from Bob Jones University in Greenville, South Carolina. I didn't know this was going to happen, but at the end of the ceremony, or towards the end, they brought out a, a man named Scott Murphy who has served for decades, I don't even know how long, uh, but has served for decades on Regeneration Reservation outside of Phoenix, Arizona. Kim and I went to, on a missions trip when we were teenagers to that very ministry and served with Scott Murphy. And it was tough. As we visited the Indian Reservation and saw, unfortunately, in many of them, a loss, a lack of hope. But yet Scott Murphy, who his parents before him have served in a similar ministry, and now he carries this on. Scott Murphy does not have a large church. Scott Murphy hasn't written books on church growth. Scott Murphy isn't, isn't uh, invited to conferences around the nation to say, you know, how, what is the secret to, to reaching uh, the, the, the Native Americans for Christ? But Scott Murphy was honored Friday because he has been faithful year in and year out sharing the gospel and seeing just a few come to know Christ and to disciple them and to continue to sow the seeds of the gospel through the ministry they call Regeneration Reservation. And he and his wife are very content because they've learned like Paul, in whatever situation, I can be content. And as you and I learn that, then we can be sure that, yes, it's attainable, but then, God, wherever you take me, if you take me from this area, if you send me, in fact, to the mission field, I can be content. If you call me to another city and we know for sure that's where you've called us to and, we, and you want us to serve in that capacity, we can be content because we know that you'll be with us. The secret to this abundant life, though, also demands your effort. As we think about, okay, I'm, I'm going to learn contentment. Do we just keep saying, I'm going to be content, I'm going to be content? No, it involves our effort. Back to John 15, we see a couple things in this passage how does this happen? Well, in John 15, 7, if you abide in me, and what is supposed to abide in us? My words, Jesus says, the very words of God that we have now in the completed canon of Scripture, his words are to abide in us. So abide in my word is the first thing. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Christ, even in Matthew 4, 4, when he was being tempted, he, he went for 40 days without food. Satan was tempting him, and he said in Matthew 4, 4, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. And some of the college students say, God, are you sure? <laughs> man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. 
Food alone and the things that the world has to offer will not fully satisfy us. We have to abide in God's word. But all, in addition to that, in John 15, we also see that we're to abide in the love of Christ. Abide in my love. It says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, and whatever you ask you wish, and it will be done for you. And then John 15, verses 9 and 10, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. So if you and I are abiding in his word, and through that we're learning more and more about Jesus Christ and, and God, the, you know, the Trinity, the triune God, and all of his majesty and his character and his faithfulness, then that is drawing us closer and closer into a, a loving, a very special and intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. And then all of a sudden, all the relationships outside of that should pale in comparison as our love is growing for Jesus Christ and we're abiding in the love of Christ. Couples, you know, the Lord never intended for either of you to fulfill all of the needs of the other. Now, Ephesians 5 paints a beautiful picture how uh, husbands and wives are supposed to be a picture of Christ with his bride, the church. And what an, an awesome opportunity we have as Christians, husbands and wives, to display that mystery, Paul calls it in Ephesians 5, to the world. What a display of God's power that we can be able to share with other people. You know, how do you stay together? Well, it's not because we're just so nice <laughs> it's because God is so powerful and the reconciling power of the gospel in us and as each of us abides in the love of Christ then that helps us to grow closer not only to God but grow closer to each other but if you're looking for satisfaction in your spouse alone it's going to be an endless search each one of you are going to be disappointed Many, many times throughout your life. Because neither of us were made to fulfill each other's needs completely. Only Christ can do that. Abide in my word, abide in my love, but then also in John 15, 11, abide in my joy. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. So I want to ask you, what do you live for? What, what motivates you? What, what excites you? And there's nothing wrong with having some things that, that aren't necessarily a chapter and verse thing that, that brings us enjoyment. God is the gift to, giver of all good things, and we can enjoy that in his purpose. But it is helpful and healthy for some of us to think, what is it that drives me? What, what does bring me great joy? While we were in high school, I was in seventh grade. My brother was a, a senior in high school. And I, and I remember to this day, in his room, he had this big beach towel. And on the beach towel that he had up on his wall as part of the decoration, it says, life is a beach. He loved the beach. I love the beach. My skin doesn't love the beach, but I, I love going to the beach and staying in the shade. But you know that towel, life is a beach. The beach doesn't bring contentment fully. The beach is great, but goodness, it's, it's an anemic substitute for Jesus Christ. 
the best that you can find, the best hunting area, the best sport, the best trail, the best restaurant, the best whatever you can find, the best of that will never compare to Jesus Christ and the joy that he offers. Abide in God's word, abide in his love so you're not looking for love somewhere else and then abide in his joy and that's what it means to have an abundant life. John 15, 8 shows us the results of this. But this is my father, but this my father is glorified or by this my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. In John 15, we see that as part of this fruit, we're going to love others as well. So we're going to bear fruit for God's glory, but we're also gonna, going to love others as, as a reflection of the love of God. John 15, 12 says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. And then John 15, 17, these things... I command you. This comes after the verses that we've been through. These things, abide in my word, abide in my love, abide in my joy. These things, John 15, 17 says, I command you so that you will love one another. It takes our effort. This, this contentment just doesn't come by, you know, we, we can't just like put it on. We learn this through this, these opportunities and these steps of spiritual growth, of abiding in God's word and learning more to love him and enjoying that love and staying in the joy of Christ. And by that, we will produce fruit and we will uh, love others as Christ has shown. Now, one of the next slide. This, some of you have seen this before, but this is all part of the philosophy of our ministry at One Hope Church. We, we don't... You know, our goal and our strategy isn't to be like the most creative church in Metro Atlanta. <clears throat> that people are just going to see kind of our, our strategies and they're just going to be wowed. And they're going to be like, wow, you know, let's flock to that new church. Our strategy is pretty old, in fact. Our strategy is fairly basic, but it's very, it's very deep. And this is it. As, as the church, you and I, as we focus on God... And we want to bring glory to him. But as then, look below kind of the surface here as we're rooted in God's word and with each other as his family, the result of that will be that we're going to go out and we're going to bear fruit for his glory. As we are content in Jesus Christ, we're going to be better husbands, men. Ladies, as you are content in Jesus Christ, you're going to be better wives and moms. College students, as you are content in Jesus Christ, you're going to be better students and better friends and better sons and daughters. All of this leads us to fulfill his very purpose for us. Now I want to close with looking at what are the dangers then of looking for contentment outside of Christ? Well, your search is going to be endless. I'm not a prophet, but I can guarantee you that. Because the Bible says in black and white that your search, if you're looking for contentment outside of Christ, you will not find it. You won't find it. Ever. Some of the, the wisest, you know, the wisest man that's, that, ever, that ever lived apart from Jesus Christ, obviously Solomon. But it's interesting, at some point maybe we'll do a series through Ecclesiastes to discover some of the things that even the wisest man didn't know. And this is one of them, Ecclesiastes 5, chapter, chapter 5, verse 10. <clears throat> he who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This is also vanity. Solomon had to learn that. Even though it's something the wisest man didn't even know. 
but you could substitute any different, you know, anything else in that verse and it would still be true. He who loves fame will not be satisfied with fame. These things are also vanity. He who loves power, he who loves sexual pleasure, he who loves pornography, adventure, traveling, educational prowess, sports, whatever you want to put in the blank, that statement will still be true. He who loves and seeks after that and tries to find contentment will not find contentment because, as Solomon says, this also is vanity. Your search will be endless. And you can spend year after year after year and you can go into your 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, into your 70s and even 80s and you're looking and you're looking. But if you look apart from Christ, the search will never, never end. Your search for contentment will be destructive. It'll be destructive as you forget your God. De- Deuteronomy chapter six, verses 10 through 13, goes, takes us back to the Old Testament and there's a, there's a very applicable warning that we see in the Old Testament that's still very true for us today. Let's read it in, in Deuteronomy chapter six and verses 10 through 13. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give you with great and good cities that you did not build, And houses full of all good things that you did not fill. Cisterns that you did not dig. Vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. And when you eat and are full, notice, then take care. Take great caution. Be careful. Warning. Then take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. It is the Lord your God you shall fear. So he's telling the nation of Israel, I'm going to do all these things for you, and this is a fulfillment of the promised land, but be careful as you begin to experience the goodness and the blessings. Be careful that you don't forget me, that I'm the one who brought you out. I'm the one who is, is giving you these things. In Proverbs, we see in verses 7 through 9, two things I ask of you, deny them not to me before I die. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of God, and I fear that in a large scale, our nation is already and way past the point where we are full, we've received a lot, we have a lot of our, at our disposal, and we say, who, who, who is God? Why, why do I need him? And we're deceiving our own selves as we continue the endless search. We look for so many other areas of contentment. We're living an enslaved life, but we think we have an abundant life. And Jesus is saying, no, you don't. Those are the lives of the devil. As we forget God, but also as you embrace false gods. Deuteronomy 6, 14 and 15. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the peoples who are around you. For the Lord, your God, in your midst is a jealous God. Lest the anger of the Lord your God be kindled against you and he destroy you from off the face of the earth. Now it's interesting, when we see the title jealous God, that is not a, a bad or sinful characteristic of God. Why? He is completely perfect. I can be jealous in a wrong way because I have limitations. So I can be jealous of somebody else who may be a little bit better than me in one area or another and so I can experience some jealousy of that person. God cannot. God is completely perfect, all-powerful. No one compares to him, so he has a right 
and he can be sinless in being a jealous God. And as we seek after false gods of those around us, our God, who we serve as believers in Christ, he is a jealous God, and he will not look upon that favorably. Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, No one can serve two masters, for either will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money or God and mammon. You can't do it. Jesus said there's, you can't just ride the fence. Who are you going to serve? Where are you going to find your contentment? 1 Timothy 6, 9 and 10, But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs or many griefs beginning to embrace false gods. Now I want to close with a, understand I, I want to be very reverent in this. I hope you don't take this wrongly, but I want to close with, a, with maybe a modern rendition of Deuteronomy 6, 10 through 15. If God were to call Moses to Kennesaw, Georgia this morning and say, you know, I'd like you to pen kind of an update of Deuteronomy 6, 10 through 15 for the people of One Hope Church and for those who live in Kennesaw and Ackworth and Woodstock and Marietta and all around, this is maybe what Moses would write in that passage. And when the Lord your God provides your needs and provides a promotion that you were hoping for and allows you to buy the house that serves your family well and is located in a good school district. And when you constantly have groceries in your pantry, food in your refrigerator, meat in the freezer, when you have a Starbucks around the corner, a Walmart down the road, the latest iPhone in your hand, and keys to a nice car in your pocket. And when you have a good, doc good doctors in your region, when your kids enjoy their sports leagues, music lessons, and video games, be careful. Be careful that you don't forget God. Don't allow yourself to be drawn to the false, but seemingly good and ever so deceptive gods of the people who are around you. The God of prosperity, the God of leisure and hobbies, the God of talented children, the God of beauty and strength, the God of entertainment, the God of financial security, the God of performance, the God of the American dream. Be careful. The Lord your God is a jealous God, will not share his throne with these other false gods. Children, I plead with you to remember that God will discipline those whom he loves. His desire is to restore you back to a right relationship with him, to restore you to a place of contentment in him and not just in the things that you want from him. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes this morning?